Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart. I want to jump right into the Word this morning. You guys can love and greet each other afterwards. I want us to get to the important things. Um, I want to say a lot of different things this morning. I believe we're all from the Lord as usual. Everyone in here is free to chew up the meat and spit out the bones. Uh, everyone in here has free will to live for Jesus or pretend like you're living for Jesus. That is your prerogative. Candace and I are here to love you and support you, but we will absolutely not support your continued sin. We will love you in your sin. We will meet you where you are. But if you want counsel and you want advice and you want love, please know what you're asking for before you ask us. Because our response is, to you, this has never changed with me. It's been in me since before I, I landed here on the island of East Liverpool. <laughs> I've talked this way my entire, since I was saved at 15 years old in the smelly basketball locker room. I've always preached this way. Nothing has changed. I've always been tough and abrasive and difficult for people to digest. But that's why you have the Holy Ghost, which is kind of a little pill of Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> and he helps you and me to digest what we need to in order to pursue the things of God. I'm serious about our pursuit of the things of God. I'm serious about nobody in here. Nobody listening to this message later. I'm serious about people not going to hell. Amen. I'm serious. I'm serious. And I don't want to play games. Come on. Ministry was so much easier when I didn't get paid for it. This is the church, Lord, and they're going to receive today. Jeremiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, there was a lot of evil in the land. Let's just clear that up real quickly. He says here, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds.
says, amend your ways and your deeds. And I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice on one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place and the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Last week I started with a few words about comfort. And I want to add to that real quickly. God is more interested in your character than He is your comfort. Now over the last three years I've said this in many ways and then even though some of you won't admit to this, I've proven it every single time. The proof is it doesn't matter how well you can play an instrument. It doesn't matter how well you can sing. It doesn't matter about your giftings, how well you can preach or teach or greet or give or do mission work. None of those things matter if your character stinks. God is interested in changing your character into the character of Christ. He's not, he doesn't want you to look like other Christians around you. He wants you to look like Jesus and act like Jesus. Did you know today we are following Jesus? We're here for Him and Him alone. If you're here for anything other than Jesus, you're going to be offended in the next 15 minutes. I don't even care about myself anymore. I'm at the stage of my life, I, 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 I don't even care what God does with me, but I care greatly what happens to all of you. And if you don't believe that, this is not the place for you. Hear my heart on this. You don't need fake friends and I don't need fake friends. Amen. You need to come aside a family of believers in unity that says, guess what? If you're struggling with alcoholism, we're going to love you. We're going to be there for you. But we're not going to let you feel like that addiction is okay to stay in. The church has tossed so many people away that probably could have been evangelists by now. It could have been pastors by now. The greatest preachers I've ever been around have been crack addicts. We must amend our ways today. God is more interested in your character than He is your comfort. If you're comfortable in church, you're in the wrong church. 
If you're comfortable around your friends all the time because they make you feel so good about yourself, you probably need to be have new friends because a real friend will get up in your face and say, hey, you need to stop talking negative about that person. That's what a real friend does. They don't stand around in church cafes talking bad about each other. They stand around in church cafes pleading the blood over each other, expecting true change to happen. There's an example this morning. If y'all just give me some time this morning to preach and teach a little bit to you, I believe that you'll come away with some good takeaways today. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, and it's called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches and this great multitude. There's a great multitude of sick people, blind, laying, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. The Bible tells us here, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise and take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and he took up his bed and walked. Realized something that the sheep gate was a, a, a general area of cleaning yourself up before you entered into the providence and the temple. And at the sheep gate, you, of course, it talked about five porches, but these porches you could kind of see as, as gazebos, a different term that we understand better. It wasn't like a porch on a house. It were the segmented five different places. And these places you can possibly get a visual that you would have the lame and you would have the sick and the diseased and, and those with rotting flesh are sitting in these areas for hours at a time, days at a time, years at a time. We don't know how long this man was actually there at this washing pool, but we know that the Bible tells us that for 38 years he struggled with this infirmity. And so you can imagine you've got the smell, you've got the warm breeze coming in over this pool, you've got the, the dynamics of, a, of a, an invisible angel that's coming at a certain time to stir the water. People waiting. You've got the scent of eucalyptus and, and mint and lavender mixed with the smell of, of rotting flesh. Did I just describe church this morning? I didn't mean to, but it just 
Sounds accurate. I don't mean that in a rude way. Did you know that church is supposed to be an emergency room? Church is not supposed to be a long-term acute care facility. Yes. You know the difference? Long-term is you're, you're there and you're there and you lay there and people work with you and they give you therapy. But And, and maybe one day you get out, but a lot of people never really get better. They, they just kind of get worse and they deteriorate. The church is not an acute care center. The church is an ER where we want to get you well. We want your heart beating the right way. Uh, and, and church is supposed to do it way better than the ERs here in this area. Amen. I know y'all can say more about that than I can. This man's own infirmity was what kept him from his healing. Because of his infirmity, it, it, it prohibited from him being fast enough to get to the pool to get well, to be the first one in. It's funny how Jesus asked the question, Do you want to get well? Why would Jesus ask this question of him? What was his motive? His obvious, this man, his obvious problem was not actually his infirmity, but rather it was his inability to see and to view what God was trying to see. And for him to view was the real source of healing, which is this man that just walked up to him. He didn't know who Jesus is. I've, I've heard this preached so many times, and I'm going to move on in a second because I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Just hold on. His reply was about finding someone else to get him to the pool. You're talking to the creator of life. And you're explaining to him that you're waiting for a human being to get him over this threshold and get his healing. He was paralyzed. He wasn't paralyzed necessarily completely because we know that he's having a conversation with God. He's able to verbalize his 38 years of, of torment. Many times we verbalize our torment to God and we sit there and wallow in our pity party waiting for God to send somebody else to us to help us when God himself is trying to help us right in that very moment. Poolside. He didn't even ask Jesus for healing, he was paralyzed. He saw the means, but he had given up internally. And Jesus, out of compassion and love and proof of his deity, one of the many proofs of his deity, he tells him to get up. Immediately, the healing happened before Jesus even told him to get up. In fact, his healing happened before Jesus even got there. Because Jesus walks in the anointing that we actually can walk in. The anointing that truly believes that God is going to be there way before we get there. There, where I'm from in Texas, 
Horse racing is a big deal. Rodeo is a way bigger deal. Um, but there's another race that people go to, and it's really all involved with gambling. I believe it's probably out here too, and that's the racing of greyhounds. Greyhounds, one of the fastest dogs in the world. They can reach speeds 20, 30, some 40 miles per hour. They breed these dogs to have the best bloodlines and the, the, the best mechanisms in their body, the best tendons, the best muscles. These, these dogs are thousands of dollars. Some of them cost more than some racehorses. And if you watch these greyhounds, there's one simple thing. There's usually eight of them lined up when they race them. And when they race them, they are staying in the race and they're moving faster and faster to, towards their goal. But unfortunately, their goal is not even a real goal. Their goal is a mechanical bunny. So you're already thinking... And that's good. Their goal is chasing after something that resembles something that they want to hunt and they want to chase down. Resembles, but it's not a real rabbit. It's a mechanical rabbit. And there was this one race a few years back. And this mechanical bunny was moving fine, and the dogs were racing their little hearts out, and uh, people that were gambling were real excited that they were about to win some money. I'm not into gambling, neither is the Bible, by the way. And all of a sudden, this mechanical bunny literally just blew up. <laughs> Evidently, the bunny was under a lot of pressure that day. And so the bunny went all sorts of little pieces. His ears went one way, his little tail went another way, his body went one way, his head went one way. It was a disaster of mechanical bunnies. And what did the dogs do? They stopped running. One dog is reported, he goes over and takes a poop by the crowd. <laughs> Another two or three dogs lay down and they decide to just lay down and have a good time in the middle of the green field, the center of the track. Other dogs are aimlessly just walking around, wondering what they're supposed to do. Their whole life was about chasing a mechanical bunny that was always out of reach. This is what we do. We chase things in our life that God has told us not to chase. We run after things in our life that are fleshly and mechanical in nature. We chase things that are not godly. We chase things that are not about His righteousness. And, and if you are a mechanical bunny chaser as I have done in my life, then unknowingly you will be robbed of several things in your life. But more than just being robbed, 
you will place yourself in a category that I want to describe to you as the if-only category. If only I could get that job, things would be better in my family. I could provide more for my children. I could do more. We could go on these extravagant vacations. If only I could get this job that will give me this amount of salary. If only that person would notice me again, I could feel whole. If only that person could forgive me, I would be at peace. These are all versions of that mechanical bunny. If only my spouse could change his or her bad habits, then our marriage would finally work and be on the right track. If only our kids could beat their addictions, then we could finally quit worrying and enjoy life again, if only. If only pastor would do things my way, the church would be so much better and bigger. A little self-serving for me to say that, but I went ahead and did it anyways. If only I could change these areas in my life, God would love me so much more. If only... If only, if only, if only. If you're chasing the if only, you are chasing the mechanical bunny. You are chasing something that is not what God has called you to chase. If you have your cell phone on you, indulge me with something, please. If you got your cell phone, if you did bring it to church, then that's amazing and super, super holy. <laughs> just messing. I want you to get your cell phone. If you don't have your cell phone, then just pretend with me. Mine's on my desk awaiting emails about this sermon. <laughs> it's your cell phones. And I want you to act like you're about to take a picture of me up here at the pulpit. Come on, put your phones up. Don't take a picture. Like, please don't post that. You'll, you'll never get people at the church. <laughs> Hold up your phones. And the other ones just kind of pretend with us. Now I want you to hit that little button on their phone, on your phone, that transfers the screen back to your face. Now you're looking at yourself on a screen. You just looked at a miracle. That's good. It's not supposed to be funny. Okay, put your phones down. Today I look out and I see 160, 170 miracles of God. Let's give God a hand for that. guys this theory of that I came up with you'll know I came up with it by the title it's 
called the two tacos and a tamale theory. <laughs> when we go to a Mexican restaurant, for years, I would just order whatever I thought the best combo meal was. There you go, we're tracking with me. You can, you wait for something really holy in a minute, aren't you? We're gonna get there. But I realized on the very back of almost every menu at every restaurant, there is an area that's called a la carte. Now, some of you love rice and beans. I personally could do without rice and beans. So I have learned to order off the a la carte menu. And on that a la carte menu, I can get, I can get two tacos and a tamale. <laughs> Sir, would you like crispy tacos or soft? You know what? I would like one crispy, one soft, and a regular tamale with queso on top. Are y'all getting hungry yet? That's not my intent, but let's go with it. Is it funny that as believers, we expect the kingdom of God and church to be an a la carte menu? We expect to come in, and this is called a consumer church. We expect to come in and order what we want out of the kingdom of God. And we come in and we say, all right, I'll take that crunchy taco in the form of, I better get this kind of music. Or I'll take that burrito, but I really want worship to be in this time frame. No more, no less. And then we look on down the menu and we size up what we want our leadership to look like. And we size up and we try to pick on this theoretical a la carte menu the things that we desire out of our leaders and out of our servants. And none of what I just described to you is what the kingdom of God looks like. It is either all of the Bible or none of it. It is either all of Jesus and what he did at Calvary or none of it. If it is 99.9% accurate gospel with 0.01% that is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the entire thing is not the gospel. Some of you don't agree with what I just said. Because you think that you can cherry pick your life 
and chase this mechanical rabbit of, of trying to obtain something that's going to get you what you want, what you can control, what you can take into your life that's going to make you what? Happy, happy. We're so happy today. The next day we're sad. We're so happy. The next day we're angry. We're so happy. If only I could be happy, happy, happy. I would be so much happier. <laughs> Preach it to you right now. Listen. What is the kingdom of God? Well, there's about 174 verses regarding the kingdom of God. But let me just give you one or two. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What is the kingdom of God? Colossians 1.13 says, He, meaning Jesus Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. What, is that, what does that transfer mean? That means that as a Christian, you no longer are in darkness. Unless you want to go back. Unless you want to go back. Because you always have the option of running from God, running from your relationship. Every person in here, are, you all have run at some point in your life. You have run from yourself. You have run from God. You have run from a church. You have run from authorities. You have run from your spouse. You have run from your children. You have run and you have run and you have run. And some of us in this room today and listening online are still chasing that mechanical bunny. But it's about to be blown up. Pretty soon you're not going to have time to care about your nice shiny truck. Pretty soon you're not going to have time to wonder if the temperature in the church is, the where, is where you want it to be. Pretty soon you're not going to have time to complain about leadership in your life because you're disobedient. Pretty soon you're not going to have time to worry about submitting. Pretty soon it's going to be time to survive. Us American Christians believe that we're not going to have to go through anything. Us Americans believe, and I wish this timeline was in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you, a surprise, I've studied the Bible extensively, and we absolutely do not know the exact time when He's coming back. And if you believe, as I do, in the rapture of the church, you don't know exactly when the rapture of the church is going to happen. Oh, Pastor, we, God, God loves us Americans. 
He, he loved, we, we are Americans, God. Woo! Man, we're so holy. No, we're not. Maybe we used to be. Look at our current generation. If you're 26 or younger, odds are you don't even know how to walk up to a bank and make a withdrawal. Your bank is online. Your life is online. Your friends are online. If you're 26, maybe 30 and under, you may not actually even own a paper Bible because it's on your phone and your iPad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it kind of is a bad thing. Pretty soon, these things ain't going to work. Pretty soon, your phone's not going to work. Oh, pastor, now let's not go down the fear road today. Let's well let's not. Let's go down the road of reality. The reality is God has already warned us of the ends of times. He has already warned us about wars and rumors of wars. He has already already warned us of the spirit of antichrist plural. It's not just one. Did you know that God has some if-onlys as well for us? I won't go down a list. I'll just give you one. One that many of you know well. The only difference between God's if-only and our if-onlys is His is based out of holiness and righteousness. And He says this in 2 Chronicles 7, 12-14. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble them. So if only my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait, we know this verse, don't we? Us Pentecostals love to quote this verse, don't we? The part that most people don't like... They like, they're, they're, they're good. I can, I, let's work on humbling ourselves. Okay, we can pray and seek His face. But when we get right down to the heart of hearts on this, God loses us when He says, turn from their wicked ways. You guys want to see more miracles around here? Turn from your wicked ways. You want to see the presence of God thicker and more profound than anything that's been seen on this earth before? Have unity with each other. Give each other what you have. 
If somebody needs a place to live, open up your large house for them to live in it. Give your life away to other people. Then you will see and be an operation of what the kingdom of God, the new covenant, really is about. Be there for people. Instead of criticizing people, come alongside them and help them out of the pit that they're in. Come alongside them and help them out of that abusive relationship. Come alongside your leaders and your pastor and the people that are trying to enrich your life. And instead of complaining about every single thing that they do or don't do according to your will, come alongside them and help them. And if you don't want to help people, then you need to evaluate if you're actually a disciple of Christ. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Why does God need to hear from heaven? Because God operates out of his original word and authority. He does not have the propensity, the ability, or any of that to change his word because he is incapable of being a liar. And will forgive their sin. And heal their land. Can you not see this formula? Can you not see that sin is stopping so many of us from living a life for the king? Can you not see that God is aching to have intimacy with you in these last days. So last year at this time, I met a man. And this man came out of a circumstance that I was dealing with. And within a month, this, this, this man and I had become really close friends. This man doesn't live in this area. He lives in the Youngstown area. I learned of this man. He told me about himself. He told me about his wife and his children and his different things that he's done, what, how God has used him. And we had a lot of great conversations over this last year, some two and three hour conversations on the phone, which is unlike me at all. I'm not great on the phone. And we spoke and I heard his heart and he heard my heart and we just kind of became in covenant together. And I've never talked about him uh, in public before or, or shared anything about him from the pulpit. But, but he is a great man. A man that loves Jesus. A man that I just talked to less than 10, 11 days ago. Had a lengthy conversation with. A man that I'm going to be attending his funeral tomorrow night. Let 
me tell you a little bit more about this man. He is a very stubborn man. He is a man that just loves Jesus with all of his heart, but he, he, he fought fights that God didn't call him to fight. And speaking to his wife and talking with her, she told me some amazing things about him, but was also so transparent about how he just would not let things go. He would stew so much about these things that most of it was about helping other people that refused help or wanted to fight the system and fight against God. And he helped these people so much, but he never let things go before he hit his doorstep at home. Now, granted, he's in the profession of helping people and fighting battles for people. But the other night he was upset. He got in a furious situation with himself. He didn't call me. He didn't call anybody else. He didn't ask for his wife for help. He just grabbed a blanket and he went to his car. And then the snow began to fall. And his kids went to school and they walked right past his car and never saw that their dad was dead in that front seat. This man died and I've got, this is not my opinion, he, he died because the Lord told him to come home. That he had fought too hard. This man is just a couple of years older than me, less than 50. Why am I telling you this? Because a lot of us are fighting battles that God has not called us to fight. A lot of us are involved in drama and gossip and slander that God says, that is an abomination unto me. I told my wife the other day, after just just a difficult week, a difficult few months, I said, "Hun, we've got to stay true to this one fact. Not only does God have us in the palm of His hand, but the people that really love us, I'm not talking about fake friends, the people that really love us and know us, and know that we did not come here for ourselves Amen. will always come to us directly when they're struggling with something or if they have a problem with us. The people that love us will come directly to us. Amen. The ones that do not care about us will always go to somebody else first. And I hope this convicts your heart because this man that I'm talking about, I know that he's with the Lord right now. But I also know, and so does his wife, that the Lord had to snatch him up in order for him to slow down. Stop chasing mechanical bunnies in your life. 
Because when they break down and blow up, you're going to realize you chased something that wasn't even of God. Praise team, will you come? Isaiah 45, 9. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it wrong. Does the pot explain how clumsy can you be to the potter? According to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us all along or long ago, some versions say. God is no amateur potter, but an artesian who has already begun to shape us into a masterpiece. So I'll leave you with this. Stand with me, please. If you'll start chasing the kingdom rather than your comfort, you will exhibit why God already calls you a masterpiece. Let me read it again because y'all didn't get it. If you'll start chasing the kingdom of God rather than your comfort zones, you will exhibit why God already calls each of you a masterpiece. Individually, God has molded and is molding you for greater things in Christ. Not in you, not for you, but for you to be an impact to other people that are dying in this lost world. When will you take serious that your family is on their way to hell without Jesus? When? When will you start focusing on doing what God is calling you to do instead of focusing on what everybody is not doing according to your personal will and agenda? created us as a masterpiece. Stop trying to change everybody and let God change you. Let God change you. You gotta come first. When you get, oh, what is the, they don't call them stewardess anymore, they have flight attendants, right? So I'm getting older finally. Oh, no. What does the flight attendant say? If you have kids, right? Put your mask on your oxygen first. You can't help your kids if you don't know how to breathe. You definitely can't help your kids if you stop breathing. How are you going to help your church if you're not breathing in the things of God? 
Breathing out the face of God. Breathing in the face of God. Breathing out the face of God. How can you possibly help anybody else if you yourself are not breathing the language of God in your life? How do you do that? Not a trick question. Read the Word. Study the Word. Meditate on the Word. Get in your prayer closet. Just before service, I needed candace for something. I called her. She didn't answer. I was mad at her. And short fuse, right? I said, Candace, can you please answer my call or walk over to my office? She calls me back. Yes. What are you doing? I'm praying. I was like, Beelzebub. No, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I was just thinking it. Anyways. And immediately I was like, you're a jerk. <laughs> Your wife is in the prayer closet praying for you, praying for the service, praying for people, praying that God would move, and you're getting upset because you can't get a hold of her when you want to. Isn't that what we do, though, on a daily basis? Let things go. Don't, don't be like my friend that just lost his life. You know what his wife said? She said, she said, Cord, he's, he's finally free of himself. He's free. Wow. Will you bow your heads? Close your eyes for just a couple of minutes.